Did you hear the news this morning? The groundhog, Punxsutawney Phil, he saw his shadow. So apparently we have six more weeks of winter this year. That's that's what the, the groundhog says. You know, people are constantly trying to predict the future. We want to have inside knowledge of what's coming up. Well, 12 years ago, a man that my family knew, he claimed he knew the future. He predicted the end of the world, and it made national news. I'll tell you all about it coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Welcome indeed. Uh, I hope that you're having a good Thursday here. The more important thing than Groundhog Day, of course, is that this is the Feast of the Presentation of the Lord. So, okay, a man who predicted the end of the world made all kinds of news. So through the, the 1970s and early 80s, my family lived in the Bay Area of California, just a little east of San Francisco and Oakland there. And my mom, uh, my mom and dad had a conversion, became Christians— we attended a Baptist church. If you're a regular listener to the program, you know I've, I've shared that I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. Well, my mom, she would regularly listen to a Christian radio station in that area, and they had their production facilities, their studios located in Oakland. It was called Family Radio, and it was co-founded by a man named Harold Camping, who he, he co-founded it, went on to become the president of Family Radio. Harold Camping had this daily show called The Open Forum. It was later in the, in the afternoon, evening. He would primarily just take calls from listeners on questions about Scripture. What does this mean where it says this in the Bible, that kind of thing. The show ran for 50 years. He was on the air from 1961 to 2011. That's quite a run. Uh, my mom, she would regularly volunteer at Family Radio there in the late 70s and the early 80s. Uh, she would help during their pledge drive. She'd help with other miscellaneous things they needed. And my parents, my mom and dad both, would go to hear Harold Camping speak at different churches occasionally. They got to know him a little bit. And my dad was honestly amazed at Harold's ability to recall so much Scripture on the spot. Um, you know, he didn't have to look at a Bible. He just knew so much of the Bible by memory, to the point that my dad suspected, does Harold even have a photographic memory? Well, so we moved out of the area, and we didn't listen to family radio anymore. So it was kind of in our past. Well, skip ahead a couple decades to 2005. In 2005, this was when Harold predicted the second coming of Christ, and he pinpointed the date as May 21st, 2011, six years later. He said that this was going to be the day where Christians, those who were saved, they would be taken up to heaven in the rapture, and that, quote, there would follow five months of fire, brimstone, and plagues on earth with millions of people dying each day, culminating on October 21st, 2011, with the final destruction of the world. That's the quote. Not many people took notice when Harold made that claim in 2005. However, in late 2010, 2010, leading up into that spring of 2011 to that date of May 21st that he claimed, that fall, late 2010, Harold Camping and Family Radio, they spent more than $100 million to advertise that the end of the world was coming, that Judgment Day was May 21st that next year. 
more than $100 million. And of course, with all that publicity, then Harold was suddenly making national and even international headlines. Of course, his, his prediction was wrong. All kinds of Christian organizations and churches, even before May 21st, they criticized Harold, pointing especially to the words of Jesus in the 24th chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour, only the Father in heaven. And my mom, in those months leading up to May 21st, 2011, over and over, more than, (laughs) I don't know how many times, she just kind of shook her head and she told me how deeply disappointed she was in Harold that he would make such a claim. Well, the rest of the story has a bit of a sad ending. May 21st came and went. Harold, at first, he claimed, well, I miscalculated. The real end of the world, it is in October of that year. But less than a month after his initial predicted date of May 21st, on June 9th of that year, 2011, Harold suffered a stroke. He was hospitalized. Later that year, his claim of October, that, of course, was false as well. And then the next year, in March of 2012, Harold acknowledged his mistake. He wrote a letter to all the listeners of Family Radio, and he said his attempt to predict a date was, quote, sinful. And then Harold died a little over a year after that. Now, while Harold Camping was mistaken, and he misled many people by trying to pinpoint that exact date of the end of the world, the fact is, Jesus will come again. There will be a second coming of Christ, and there will be an end to this world as we know it. But more important than when it will happen is the question of what will happen. That's where we actually do get some insight from Scripture and from the teachings of the Church. But then, if we take it even a step further beyond that question, more important than knowing what will happen, really the most important question you can ask yourself is, are you ready for eternity? Whenever that may be. Whenever our Lord calls you home. Well, today we want to look at what the Church calls the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And hopefully by having a better understanding of these things, we can look to the future. We can face the future with hope, not fear, not worry, but with hope in what awaits us if we are united with Christ. And our spiritual director joining us for the hour today, Father Jim Goins, is back with us once again. Father Jim is a priest in the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City and the pastor of St. Eugene's Parish there in Oklahoma City, Father Jim, welcome back to The Inner Life. Good morning, and thank you for having me back. And just FYI, I am also a former Southern Baptist. Oh, are you? I have two today. (laughs) I am, I am. So when did you convert then, Father? I converted, well, I began attending Mass when I was in college. And I went to Mass for many years, probably seven years before I actually converted. It was a long process for me. I've always said I must have been a bit dense, but um, still, men Baptist love Baptist singing. I enjoy Baptist preaching. Um, I'm actually very thankful for what I was given, but I found the great treasure buried in the, the Eucharist, the Church, the sacraments. So, yeah. 
Yeah. I am very thankful for my conversion. Well, I, I remember hearing somebody say this years ago that if you if you come out of a Protestant or evangelical background into the Catholic Church, you really lose nothing and you gain everything. You gain the exactly. sacraments, you gain, you know, all of this this rich history and tradition, you know, so much that we get from the Church Fathers, the doctors of the Church. But if you go the other way, if you leave the Catholic Church for a Protestant or evangelical church, you lose so much. You become impoverished, um, but by becoming a, a Catholic, you find new riches. It's, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Well, Father, you know, I, I talked about this man, Harold Camping, that our family knew, and his prediction of the end of the world. Uh, maybe as we start off here, you know, why why is it— you know, a, a lot of times we do want to have, like I said, that kind of inside knowledge. When's this going to take place? When is this going to happen? We want to try and plan ahead, but why is it important that we not worry necessarily about the when? Why, why should we kind of keep that out of our minds and not make that such a primary focus? St. Paul faced that problem with the early Christians who thought that the Lord's coming was imminent, and they just stopped working. They just sat around and and waited. We are to be an active church, not a passive church. So a church that becomes obsessed with a certain date and thinks it knows the date of the end, that becomes a very passive church. Whereas if we do our work and if we pray and if we live our lives joyfully, quietly, but always aware that, yes, this this is temporary. This is not the eternal, and we await the eternal. And that way our lives are not ruled by uh, fear or, or, you know, a passive nature. I think we, we do so much better if we don't uh, stew about it and worry about it. It also— forces us then to not be in this kind of mode of, well, I'll get around to being a good person. I'll get around to helping the poor. I'll get around to loving my neighbor. Uh, you know, it's the, the focus becomes on the here and now, you know, that it's not, exactly. it's not a, a put it off until later when I, when I need to. I'll, I'll kind of catch up on that. <laughs> but the focus <laughs> becomes, no, you, you really need yeah. to be at all times, if, if your faith is real, if that relationship with Christ is real, well, then that shouldn't be a, I'll get around to it. It should be, I can't wait to get going immediately. And let's face it, this world ends for someone today. I mean, the world for me could end at any moment. So even before the final end, for most of us, there is the end of our life on earth, and that we must always prepare for. You know, as we talk about the four last things, and the first of those four is death, you know, some people, if we start talking about death and, you know, the the fact that we all are mortal, they might think, hmm, is there some sort of morbid fascination with death but but that's not that's not where we want to come at this from it's actually to be realistic and to be prepared and again 
so that we have that focus on our relationship with Christ, that there is the hope of something beyond this life. Exactly. There is a very fine line between the Christian approach to understanding death and the secular, sometimes a secular fascination, uh, morbidity, uh, you know, almost like a worshiping of death. Death becomes almost something that some people in the secular culture idolize. And as the as Pope John Paul uh, once said, you know, we're dealing with a culture of death, a culture that seems to be enamored with death. Christians are to have a much different relationship with that fact. We will pass away. We must prepare for it. But for us, it is the entry to the eternal glory promised us in the Father's house. How do we know if we're coming up on, you know, you talk about that kind of fine line between the culture and the church and our approach. How do we know that we're having the right approach, that we haven't crossed over into that wrong approach to death? I think if you if you look around at, at your life, and if your thoughts, your moods, your the images with which you surround yourself, the movies that you uh, that you view, if they are all obsessed with violence and death, you've crossed that line. I went once to bless an apartment where the, the person reported some disturbances. So I went and to bless the apartment, and, and I said, now, wait a minute, look, look at your books that you have and look at the, the movies that you have collected. It's all death, death, violent death, horrible death. I said, this is why it's not your apartment that's disturbed. It's your soul. And I, my prescription was get rid of that and reorient yourself to life and leave that view of death behind. Because that is not the way to peace. It's not the way, it's not the proper understanding of preparing for death. Well, let's talk about that proper understanding then, because coming up in a little less than three weeks from now, we're going to be at the start of Lent. We're going to come to Ash Wednesday. And when we receive those ashes on our forehead on Ash Wednesday, there's a couple of proclamations, but one of them is, remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I mean, right on the surface, that sounds very just ominous, very depressing, but what should we really understand when we hear these words that we are dust and to dust we will return? What is that proper understanding and approach to death? It's twofold. I think the first is to cultivate a humility before your Lord and Creator, to recognize that we are not gods, that we are in fact finite creatures, and the humility then that that can uh, generate is a proper way to live your life. And the second, it's a call to repentance. You know, look at the way that you are living your life. Are you living your life correctly? Are you living your life spiritually and in accord with the Gospels? And if you remember the fact that, yes, I'm going to have to lay this body down, I'm going to have to leave this world then we are more, we are motivated 
to live an honorable, holy, prayerful, generous life. Talking with Father Jim Goins today here on The Inner Life about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And what are you doing in your life to make sure that you are prepared, that you are looking at death with that proper approach? Maybe you have questions about what happens after we die, about the judgment, about heaven, about hell. If there's concern, if there's uncertainty, and you'd like to call and speak with Father Jim, our phone number here into the studio is 888-914-9149. Again, that phone number, 888-914-9149. Uh, you can also email us, and our email address is innerlifeatrelevantradio.com. Uh, Father Jim, before we have to go to our first break, let's also talk about, you know, you, you say we're going to have to give up our body, you know, that that life here on earth is temporary. But we also, we can't just talk about death without talking about the resurrection. You know, that that's, that's part of the whole piece of what we're talking about here. So with Jesus, he gives us that hope that death is not the end, that we can be resurrected. And there's this commonly used phrase for Jesus's body after he's resurrected, that I've heard all my life. He had a glorified body. And that we also somehow in our own physical resurrection after, you know, the the end of time, the end of this world, we will be resurrected, reunited soul with body. First of all, is that concept of a glorified body, is that accurate? And then do we have any idea what that will be like? Absolutely accurate. That's biblical. That is the promise. The the expectation, the hope of the resurrection is why Christians can approach death without despairing. Resurrection is that hope that is at the heart of Christian spirituality. What the glorified body will look like, we don't know Exactly. I think it's interesting in the resurrection accounts, the disciples had trouble recognizing the Lord and his glorified body. So obviously it is not simply resuscitation. Resurrection is not that somehow your body is just going to be resuscitated. It's something more than that. But it's important that we are not simply souls, but we are souls in bodies. It's important to remember that salvation is both salvation of our soul, but our bodies too will be reclaimed. Christ gives nothing to death. He leaves nothing for death, not even our bodies. Talking again with Father Jim Goins, we do need to take a short break, but again, talking about those four last things. And we've talked about death, about the resurrection. Coming up next, we're going to discuss the judgment, what that means, what it is, what is going to happen in that judgment for us. We're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about hell. And maybe you have a question about one of these four last things. Again, you're welcome to call in and speak with Father Jim Goins. The phone number here, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Back in just a moment. Stay with us. We'll be right here. And our conversation continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center. 
helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. Welcome back to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond, and glad to have you joining us for this conversation about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Maybe you have a question about what happens after we die. Maybe there's something that is uh, has you a little worried, a little concerned. Maybe there's some fear about what happens after we die. You're welcome to call in to speak with our spiritual director, Father Jim Goins. He is the pastor of St. Eugene's Parish in Oklahoma City. And the phone number into the studio here is 888-914-9149, Father, talked a lot about death and even the resurrection, what that means for us. Uh, The second of those four last things, the judgment— uh, first of all, what what will be being judged by God? What will that entail for us? What do we know from Scripture? The touchstone for that would be the great parable of the, the you know the raising up and the people placed on the right and on the left, and those who are judged mercifully are those who who were merciful, who showed mercy, who, you know, visited him when he was sick, fed him when he was hungry, clothed him when he was naked. And then those judged negatively are those who are callous and selfish and unconcerned about other people. So that is a touchstone scripture for that. We also know from scripture that those who are unrepentant of wicked deeds, are also uh, going to face a harsh judgment. Judgment Day should give us all pause, priests especially. You know, we, in priestly culture, priests take Judgment Day seriously because we will be judged on a more uh, strenuous level, to be, to be frank. We have been given more, and more will be expected of us. So I would urge your listeners to do a daily examination of your conscience, and before you lay your body down to sleep, you know, do, uh, you know, pray an act of contrition, prepare for judgment each and every day. I I think we should take it more seriously than we do. I've had numerous conversations with people who, um, and most of these are with people who might not really be practicing any faith. Maybe they grew up in, you know, a religious family, but they they haven't carried that into their adult life. But there's kind of this mistaken notion that after they die, there's going to be this opportunity to just sit down and have a good conversation with God and discuss all the good things and the bad things that right. they did in life. And, you know, hopefully, well, yeah, I was a pretty good person. That good, it's probably going to outweigh the bad. Um, you know, God, God's God's going to let me into heaven, right? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a good guy. I'm a good I'm a good woman. You know, what, I I think that's one of the most common. But what are some other maybe misconceptions about the judgment that 
really c- can be dangerous for us? You see it on both extremes. When you deal with scrupulous people, they cannot grasp the idea that the one who will judge us is the one who loves us most. The one who will judge us is merciful and kind and forgiving. Uh, So on one end of the spectrum, you have people who have absolutely no trust in the mercy of God. Even after they repent, they're just sure that they're going to be damned to hell by this angry God. So we want to avoid that. That's not Catholicism. That's not Christianity. On the other extreme, you have, yeah, you have those people that are like, well, I think I've done pretty good. I, you know, I think I deserve heaven, this lack of humility. And again, I can't stress this idea of humility, which should you know, undergird the, the Christian spiritual life. We are creature. And imagine that the, the creature, the finite being, has an appointment, a destiny with the Creator. We will meet our Creator face to face, and we will give an account of what we have done with the gift of our life. That's going to be a, a monumental event for everyone who has lived. I mean, you know, we should not treat that like it's just going to be a chat over coffee. It won't be that. It will be more um, awe-inspiring. You know, as Scripture says, you know, the people that that met angels, were there, and they were greatly afraid. Well, they just met an angel. Imagine when you meet your Creator. Yeah. That will be an awe-inspiring event. That, that's such a good point about the people that we see in Scripture who have met angels. And most, almost all the time, those angels have to start off by saying, do not be afraid. Fear Do not, not be afraid. Yeah. Exactly. And, and and a lot of the times people think that, well, this angel, they're so, you know, they're, they're so awestruck and so fearful from the, just the presence of the angel. It probably means that it's their time to die. Uh, even, the you know, in the book of Revelation, John the Apostle, twice he has an angel who stands before him and John just falls on his falls face. On his face. And the angel yeah. has to say, no, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't bow down before me. I'm just a servant like you. You know, the only one worthy of worship is God. So, yeah, I think that is such a good illustration for us. If we're still looking at a creature, in a heavenly creature, that God has created in an angel, and that brings such terror in so many people who have seen them— how much more awestruck and terrified will we be? But at the same time, as you pointed out, we can't just end right there. We have to look and say, no, there's the love and the infinite mercy of God that is available. He's, he's going to judge us, but he's going to judge us from a place of mercy as long as we allow ourselves to receive that mercy. If you think about it, Catholicism is always holding the middle ground between the two extremes. Catholicism always preaches, you know, the the middle against the extremes, and we need to guide our people to that that humility, but a hopeful humility. 
Father, um, one other thing before we move away from talking about the judgment here, and again, I'm going to open up the phone lines. Um, i got an email I want to go to here in a a minute as well, too, but the phone number, if you'd like to call in and speak with Father Jim Goins, 888-914-9149. Today, talking about the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. If you joined us a little late, I'd very much encourage you to go back and listen to the entire podcast after this live broadcast ends, and you can find that at our website, relevantradio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. Um, Already talked about death. We're in the middle of talking about that second of those four last things, judgment. And we have two different kinds of judgment that are taught in Catholic teaching, the particular judgment and the final judgment. Can you help us understand the difference between those two? The particular judgment is personal judgment. We believe immediately following our death, we will stand before our God and give an account of our life. That's the particular judgment. At the end of time, all of creation will be raised judged. So we see in the book of Genesis, God looks at creation and says, it is good. At the final judgment, the Lord will look at creation and determine, is it good or is it not? So those are the two. At the last judgment, uh, the evil one and death itself will be banished uh, and thrown into the what is called the lake of fire. So all things at the, at the final judgment, particular judgment, that's mine, yours, everyone who's listening today. So, Father, got an email here from Elizabeth, which I think is a perfect way for us to transition and start talking about those last two of the four last things, heaven and hell. She says, I'd like to know what's going to happen to my relatives who are not baptized when they die. I'd love to know where they will end up, and who can I pray for intercession for their conversion? First, you should pray for their conversion. Pray for that. Pray for all that in most need of God's mercy. Hey, Father, I'm, I'm going to just jump in real quick. It sounds like your phone's uh, kind of cutting in and out. And oh, I'm so sorry. No, that, that's, that's all right. I mean, you know, common cell phone technology. But let's take... Uh, our, our second break here really quick. I'm going to have Nick just reestablish our connection with you, and sure. we'll, we'll see if we can get a better connection going on here. But again, talking with Father Jim Goins, and our phone number to join the conversation as we talk about the four last things, the phone number is 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Maybe you have a question about death, about judgment what's going to happen about heaven, about hell. Uh, Another aspect that I hope we're going to be able to talk about here coming up before the end of the hour is purgatory, where that fits in to these last four things, especially heaven and hell, what that means, what, what purgatory really is. But whether you have a question, maybe something that has helped you to have a better understanding of these four last things, most importantly, how are you living your life? so that you are ready, so that, as Father Jim talked about earlier, that you have that ready attitude whenever God might call you home, that you're ready to stand before him, uh, ready to 
call upon his love and his mercy. Our phone number again, 888-914-9149. We'll be right back here on The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Join the conversation at 888-914-9149. Welcome back to The Inner Life. And uh, yeah, that, I always, that was my favorite REM album. My wife always liked, uh, oh, I think Automatic for the People was her favorite one, but Eponymous that has this song on it. That was always my favorite, R.E.M. Uh, today, talking about not just the end of the world, we're talking about the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And our spiritual director for the hour is Father Jim Goins. He is the pastor of St. Eugene's Parish in Oklahoma City. The phone number to call into the studio, 888-914-9149. Maybe you have a question about one of those four last things, and you'd like to speak with Father Jim. Again, the phone number, 888-914-9149. Father, uh, before the break, you were just starting to respond. Your phone kind of broke up, but I wanted to go back to that email from Elizabeth, and she said, I'd like to know what's going to happen to my relatives who are not baptized when they die. I'd like to know where they'll end up, and who can I pray for intercession for their conversion? I was going to mention that we must remember that there are different types of baptism. The ordinary way is baptism by water, but there's also baptism by desire for Christ, and there's baptism by shedding one's blood for Christ. We can hope that our unbaptized relatives in their last moments hoped for salvation. God. We believe that anyone who seeks God sincerely will find him. So we, we do have a, a professed hope that all of, the, all of the dead can be saved by Christ if they seek him, if they seek God sincerely. We don't profess to know who's in hell. We don't profess to know if anyone is there. Now, we have a list of people we profess to know are in heaven. So there is a certain ambiguity about that that we embrace. Frankly, we're not afraid of it. We embrace it because we have to remember that there is free will involved, and there's also involved God's desire to save humanity. So how all that plays out, we don't rightly know, but it's very important to pray for the dead. That's part of our spirituality. Mm. So, Father, let's talk about heaven and let's talk about hell. Um, We'll start with the good place, (laughs) heaven. What do we know about heaven? And maybe what are... What are some misconceptions that we can put to rest so that we don't have this this mistaken notion of what heaven is? Heaven is not uh, the continuation of the best things of this life. Heaven is not the all-you-can-eat buffet on the opulent cruise ship. Heaven is beyond materialism. Heaven is another realm perhaps uh, another dimension. Heaven is the beatific vision. It is proximity to God. It's 
something that is so wondrous that it is almost beyond the capacity of the human being to understand how incredible that will be. We speak of it in terms of the Father's house because that's how the Lord spoke of it. We are, if we are saved and we are in heaven, we are in the house of the Father, and it's often referred to as, you know, like a banquet, the eternal banquet, which is not really just the the savory food and the wine. It's the sense of being loved and having a place, that place where you are welcomed and where you belong and where you have warmth and friendship and you are loved and forgiven. Those aspects, we we know about heaven because the Lord spoke of it in those terms. Well, so let's look at then the other side of what we're talking about here, hell. Um, and, you know, the, there's a, a few different things that come up when we start talking about a place of eternal punishment, of eternal separation from God. Um, the first one usually is something along the lines of, well, if God is all-loving, how could an all-loving God ever send anyone to a place of eternal torment and punishment? How, how would you respond to that, Father? I don't think God has ever sent anyone to eternal punishment. I think eternal separation from God is chosen, if, if it has happened. It has been chosen by the soul. We can't uh, talk about hell without talking about the free will that we have been given, that God cannot save us if we don't want to be saved. Now, it's sometimes hard for people to think that there would be anyone out there who would not want God. And yet, there seems to be evidence that, yeah, there there are people that profess not to want God, reject him completely, hate the idea of God. So if that persisted, they would basically, they would make the choice to separate themselves eternally from God. They would choose that miserable condition of being without the presence of God for all eternity, because the soul is eternal. You can't give that back. You know, that is simply a given. But where you spend eternity is your choice. Right. Well, you know, the other thing that I think is important here, with the concept of hell, it's been a fairly common suggestion that, well, it's not a real place, it's meant more figuratively, or it's something that um, is meant to motivate us so that we choose God, so that we don't reject God. Can you talk about the reality of hell more than just some construct or idea? I believe that there are foreshadowings of heaven here on earth, primarily the Eucharist, the Mass. And I think there are foreshadowings of hell here on earth. I think I could take your listeners to places that are so disturbing 
despairing and so violent and so angry. And I could show your listeners, do you see this? This is a foreshadowing. Hell is real. It's a real choice. It exists, if only in the realm of choice for you. And we know that it is the final destination of the wicked, the evil one, and his angels. So it is not simply a motivational talk. And that's certainly what the evil one would want us to believe. It is a a, a true consequence of decisions and actions made in this life. Father, I want to go to the phones here shortly, but one last question for you. Let's talk about purgatory. It's it's not necessarily included in those four last things, but it is something that's important to understand, especially if we're talking about heaven and hell. Um, I, I've, I've talked with many people who have this concept of purgatory, um, even friends who grew up in Catholic families, that, oh, it's kind of this waiting place, isn't it? You know, where, you know, you you might go to heaven, you might go to hell. That's not church doctrine. That's not church teaching. Um, no, no. But but it's also purgatory. One thing that makes it unique, as opposed to heaven or hell, is that heaven and hell, where it's eternal, because you mentioned we have an eternal soul. Purgatory is the one place that's not necessarily forever. At some point, that last soul, that last person, they're going to get out of purgatory. Absolutely. We have to remind people that purgatory is linked to heaven, not to hell. It is the purgation of the sin that remains on our soul that cannot stand in the presence of God. I mean, sin and God cannot coexist in the, in the same uh, place. Therefore, we are purged of those sins that would prevent us from entering the Father's house. It is a merciful act. Now, we sometimes speak of it in terms of time. That's a bit clumsy because there is no time after death. When we talk about temporal punishment, what we mean by that is that it will end. It's not eternal. It's temporal. It will end and the souls in purgatory will find their way to heaven, but we can assist them with our prayers to, to allow themselves to be purged. I think stubbornness and haughtiness, you know, that maybe does not rise to the level of mortal sin, nonetheless could prevent us from entering heaven, you know, until we lay that aside. And again, humility, it is the, the act of, you know, humbling yourself before your God. Um, that is part of the purgation of the soul. Right. And that's, that's, that's the word of the day, right? Humility. If there's one thing that you take away I from this, so. yeah, just uh, so. let go of your pride and let God work in your life. Uh, embrace that humility. Ask for well, that Well, pride humility. is what, you know, got us into trouble. That's right. In the very beginning, pride is why we lost Eden, and humility is how we will regain it. Father, let's uh, let's try and get a couple phone calls in here before the hour runs out. Joyce is calling, listening in Chicago. Hi, Joyce. Glad to have you on the air. Yes, thank you for taking my call. So in our final judgment, we will either receive heaven, purgatory, 
or we will send our own selves to hell. So what about at the final judgment when our Lord Jesus Christ comes back? Will we be part of the goats or the sheep when he separates if we go to purgatory? Again, connect purgatory to heaven. Purgatory is not connected to hell. Purgatory is the purgation of sins for those souls bound for heaven. If we die with venial sins on our soul that have, for which we have not repented, venial sins, we will be purged of those by the mercy of God, and we will eventually enter the Father's house. So purgatory is not like, oh, I don't know which way this is going to go, heaven or hell. No, purgatory is attached to the, the process of entering heaven. Thanks for the call, Joyce. Uh, Father Patricia is listening in Reno, Nevada. Patricia, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Jim. Yes, thank you for taking my call. Um, Father, I often fear about hell, and I, because um, I know the commandments are, are very clear about loving one another and, you know, seeing him in the, the poor and helping the poor. And I just wonder with the last judgment, I mean, uh, with with my particular judgment, how do I know that I've, you know, done enough and, you know, that so that I feel like, you know, I'm not afraid of, the, of that judgment? That's a great question. And, you know, I have to confess there have been times in my own spiritual journey in which I have been overcome by fears of eternal separation from God. Ask yourself, do you desire God? Do you want to see the face of God? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe what he has taught us? If you can answer yes to that, then you're not really a candidate. I hate to speak of this in this, I don't mean to make light of it, but you're not really a good candidate for hell because you're seeking God. Now, judgment, I think, will be difficult even for the saints. I think, you know, the particular judgment will be a difficult event for us. I think it's like a mirror. I think we'll have to take a look at ourselves. We'll have to realize just how much we needed a Savior. But if there was one thing that I would urge you to do is to soak yourself in hope because you desire God, you desire heaven. And then whenever you're overcome by those fears, pray the Jesus prayer. I love that prayer. Lord Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, for I am a sinner. Or the Fatima prayer is another great prayer to pray whenever you're overcome with fear of hell or fear of judgment day, to to voice that to God. I know I am a sinner. Save me. You know, when Peter was sinking down into the waters, which that's so symbolic, that that story is so symbolic, he's sinking into the waters, and all he has to say is, Lord, save me, and the Lord saved him from a watery grave. Mm Uh, Father, I'd like to go back to a couple of things here with Patricia and what she was asking as well. Uh, One, you know, as you're saying, soak yourself, pray for that virtue of hope in your life. It's also important, I I think, that we recognize 
it's an ongoing journey. It's a process of conversion, of daily conversion. We don't want to fall into a yeah. sin of presumption. That's that's what it's called, where right. we have this this kind of and and it goes back to pride again. That anti humility attitude of I, I'm in, I'm in good shape. I'm going to be fine. That sin of presumption can be something very problematic, so that we aren't relying on ourselves. And in that same vein, you know, Patricia, she she asked. I'm kind of worried, have I done enough? And I think that right there is, it's it's kind of the wrong question. And that's, I'm not being, enough. right, exactly. Okay. I'm not being right. critical yeah. of you, Patricia. Don't right. don't take it that way, because I think we all ask that question at some point, but we have to reorient our minds to just what you said, Father. There's, I will never be able to do enough that I could ever earn heaven. I can only do the little bit which will always fall short of God's glory, but he still asks me to do that. I really just have to trust in God and say, I have no hope if it's all reliant on me. It has to be reliant upon you. Great point. Great point. Father, uh, we've got just about one minute left here, but one other question that came in over email. Father Jim, how do I know that I am truly sorry for my sins? Not just sorry because I don't want to go to hell. I tell God that I am truly sorry. How can I really be sure, though? You know, this is one of those where, you know, somebody's asking about a perfect act of contrition, which is a, <laughs> that's, that's a tall order for all of us. It is a tall order, and I think that is not easily answered. There's no magic uh, you know, moment that I could point them to that should be an ongoing discussion with their confessor, with their spiritual director, with their, uh, you know, with the Lord in their private prayer. And maybe they need to pray that they be taught by the Holy Spirit to know what perfect contrition is. I don't think there's any easy formula to give them to know that. Yeah. But when they have it, uh, I think they will know it. But on top of that, the Church doesn't require for us to have perfect contrition. We are no, still able to receive no. absolution and forgiveness, even with that if imperfect. there is only a grain of contrition, yeah, just a yeah. grain of it. Exactly. Father, uh, we're down to the very end here, about 30 seconds. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Absolutely. May the Lord God bless you and keep you. May he bring your heart, your mind, your soul ever deeper into his loving grace. May you find your way to heaven, to eternal glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, always good to talk with you, Father Jim. Look forward Thank to speaking you with you again. Me. Yeah. Uh, again, if you joined us late, it was a great conversation. The full hour, the podcast, will be available at our website, RelevantRadio.com, or on the Relevant Radio app. Mass starts right now here on Relevant Radio.